0: It gets to the idea, what is the Bible intended? And it's intended to be a relational Mm -hmm. document in the sense of not a scientific manual, not a historical history book, let's say, Mm -hmm. but a relational invitation to reveal who God is and that we can know Him.
1: Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation.
2: This season, we're learning what it means to pull apart Christian beliefs and examine your faith in a process called deconstruction. We'll cover the most questioned topics within Christianity in hopes that it will help all of us better understand what we believe.
1: All right. Well, welcome to episode two of our season on Deconstruction. Excited to have Alyssa with us again, and Pastor Larry is yeah. here as well. We're excited just, to feature. joining Just Larry. Us. Yep. Just Larry. Like, okay, <laughs> all right. Just Larry. Like. Uh, yeah, we're excited to have you on the, the podcast. Thanks for joining this uh, conversation about deconstruction. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Alyssa.
0: Yeah. to be here
1: yeah so as we um get into deconstruction and today we're talking about deconstructing the bible um larry do you have any thoughts initially just about uh, deconstruction in general i know listen i kind of got to have a a whole conversation in episode one but yeah what thoughts on the the term and and idea of deconstruction and
0: yep first of all i just want to say listen paul how much i respect you and love you and what you're doing here because uh, this podcast is designed in, in a way to shape our culture here at Waterstone. And we want Waterstone to be a place where Everyone is welcome, and, and including and especially skeptics, mm-hmm. including doubts and doubters, yes. including people who are just struggling with faith. Yeah. And so a podcast like this and this series goes a long way towards that. It's, it's, and it's a big part of our culture right now, in church culture, this idea of deconstruction. I read uh, an article in Christianity Today. I don't know if you referenced it at all last week. Uh, from uh, It was from Kirsten Sanders who I think teaches at the University of Notre Dame, she talked about how this has been going on throughout church history, Mm -hmm. that actually this deconstruction idea of people just wrestling with doubts, uh, trying to figure out who God is, is what, on the one hand, launches new movements all the time, Puritans, Moravians, mm. um, you know, there's just this history of people mm. who really begin to wrestle with some of what their churches are teaching, mm. and out of that comes a new movement. But I think, I think the other side is, I think, for just personal spiritual journeys. Mm. This is important. And the, uh, Kirsten mentions in, in this article in Christianity Today that um, her deconstruction uh, season in her life was launched when she was writing her dissertation on Thomas Aquinas. And the idea of Thomas Aquinas uh, is that God is so big that we can never know him at Mm -hmm. all. And what deconstruction often is, is running up against the limits of our finiteness as Mm -hmm. human beings. And God is the ocean. He's massive. And we're never going to know. So sometimes this idea of knowledge and knowing God... I mean, deconstruction is that task between figuring out what we can know about him mm-hmm. and what we will simply never know. know. So I really th- see this not only as helping us in our culture, but I think helping us in our uh, theological growth. Mm-hmm. So all oh, that's just a long way to no, say. I, this is really cool what you guys are doing, and I'm excited about it.
2: And somehow that was better than our whole episode <laughs> last, <laughs> last week. I think more Whole entire but first
1: episode. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah.
2: But no, thanks yeah. for being here, Larry. And yep. I think that it's really helpful. To feel like you're not alone, not only mm-hmm. in your like current year, but also just in the history. That it's like, man, like there are so many scholars and other people that have wrestled through these things and have come out right. the other side. And yeah. um, I think there's um, a piece that's so important about that community. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I, I would sure. add. I mean, we can look at this and say, yeah, it's historical, and there's been movement, and so forth. But if you're actually going through it, or if your children are going through it, or someone, a friend is going through it. It's scary. No, I mean, I don't yeah. want to devalue the emotional uh, challenge yeah. that uh, deconstruction is. So, yeah, absolutely. we want to be pastoral in yeah. this as well and care for people.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think one of our hopes is that it can help people. This can be in a, a, a kind of an accompaniment on the journey of, of deconstruction as people are wrestling through this. Uh, but hopefully, with the intent of helping them get to the other side and not yeah. have to go through it alone. Because, yeah. like you said, it yeah. it's. It sucks. It <laughs> it's, it it's not
0: a yeah. fun thing. And it's really and Paul, you, I think you said this last week. I mean, I and I do think this is where the church needs to be—not a brick wall, mm-hmm. but a brick road. I mean, yeah. did you did
1: you make that oh, up? That's I really did. good. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's a little cliche, but <laughs> no, I know. Likes it. <laughs> Overall, I'm running with it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so, and that's
0: what we, we we need to be. Yeah, a, a road. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I think for today, as we dive into this conversation, um, we thought episode two should be all about the Bible. Because when you talk about all of these different spaces that we'll get to, all these different topics about deconstruction, ultimately a lot of them come back to Scripture, how it's been used, how it's been interpreted, um, how it's been treated, sometimes misused and abused and manipulated. And so we just thought it'd be helpful to kind of give an overview of of places that has happened and how the Bible has been treated in the past, but hopefully give a little bit of... um, kind of some paradigms to help people understand and and maybe know how what their posture should be as they they come to scripture so as we dive into talking about the bible today have there been any places uh larry or elissa that either of you guys have have struggled with the bible and found it confusing or conflicting or
0: yeah there sure have and mine has been not so much like in the past or the things the bible has said about the past and history and i know we'll delve into that for me it's been more about um, the future mm-hmm. and what the Bible says is going to go down, <laughs> yeah. right? This massive, so, you know. To, Revelation here, I mean, I grew up in the church and I grew up in a particular fundamentalist kind of narrow slice mm. of the church, and they'd have these movies that they show the youth group about, you know, G- the rapture of yeah. Jesus and he's coming back and there's going to be like cars crashing into each other. What or,
1: was the, was there a movie like The Four yeah. Horsemen or something no, like that? it it's called The Thief
0: in the Night. Thief in the Night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that it's movie's just, terrifying. Well, I know. It is, it's <laughs> just the world goes into chaos. Yeah. So, you know, some of that, but actually, I remember a few years ago, we preached through the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. and you just read some of the. Stuff that even if you're trying to understand the book of Revelation and keep it, you know, in its context and in its historical setting, it's just going to be wild. Yeah, what's the future? So, my struggle has always been, really, is this how it's going to end? Is this
1: how it's going to happen? So, absolutely, yeah. I think a lot of people probably resonate with that.
2: Yeah. Um, so I would say I have two things I'll do my funny one first, to so hopefully, push in my second one. Um, but I remember um, as a kid, I spent almost every summer at Camp Ijrahaji. Mm. And at the craft station, we would make these little bead bracelets, and you had to pick your birthday verse, uh. m- mostly meaning a verse that corresponded with, like, the chapter and the verse was your, you know, month and date. And so they give you these Bibles. And they're like, okay, pick through. And then, you know, once you pick your verse, you can um, put those letters on this <laughs> oh, um, no. bracelet. And I just remember looking through, and, you know, and of course you're reading the Bible in one verse chunks. <laughs>
1: oh no <laughs> like
2: as a 10 year old you're like I don't
1: wanna that's, <laughs> that's not verse. my birthday verse yeah. you know just like do you remember any of the ones that were years? oh
2: yeah like one is about you know cause obviously I started in Genesis you know the Torah oh, yeah, so sure. it's like oh don't build a temple up on a hill because the wind will come and show your nakedness That was like so practical but I don't know if that's like what I wanna do. you
1: your whole life to be a yeah, yeah you know or I
2: think one's about like stoning and oh, no. Um so I think I just panicked and just picked um, like pretty beats because I didn't want to speak any of those things um, over my life. Just one verse. Turns out that's not, that's not great. Don't read the Bible one verse at a time. Um, But uh, what actually has been challenging is I think a lot of those verses that speak directly to women and their role in the church. So, you know, women shouldn't speak, uh, go home and ask your husbands. Um, I asked Kyle and he didn't know why that was there either. Um, So I think that those are the things that I've really wrestled with um, as one and as someone who feels like, man, I have these God-given talents, yeah. um, and I feel like I have stuff to say that is thoughtful, yep. and all of a sudden, the Bible is kind of fighting with that, and um, yeah, that's been a big area yeah. of challenge, for yeah, sure. I
1: think, and that's that's such a good one to, to bring in, because I think many of the struggles with the Bible are deeply personal, mm-hmm. and it's not just this abstract like fighting with this like book that you disagree with, but it... it If it has something to do with your identity and how God has created you and how he's made you, and the Bible feels in conflict with that, that's a very deeply unsettling and upsetting place to to be in. So, yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, when we talk about scripture, it's not just the academic side of things that they're struggling with, it's 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 this personal wounded that that we carry. And it's
0: with. and it's not just what even the Bible says in those particular verses. So it. true. It's what people have done with yeah, them. Too. Yes. So has made the church a place of pain.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. Yeah. yeah. And similarly, I, I think for me, one of the places I, I struggled very early on uh, was with the violence in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I, I shared in our first episode about the flood and how I just had so many questions as a kid about <laughs> what in the world is happening here and why is God killing everyone? Um, but then there are the other verses that you read too about Uh, God commanding to kill every man, woman, and child, and and cow, I don't know what the cows did wrong, but they've got to die too. And and so those verses where, where particularly violence is attributed directly to God, um, that's always a challenging place for me because it, it seems in conflict with the Jesus we see of the New Testament. Yeah. And so how do we reconcile those two images of God if we believe that that Jesus is this God incarnate and in the flesh? And so
2: yeah. I feel like in war movies, that's always when the horses die. That's like when I get sad. It's like not the horses. <laughs> not the horses. Like somehow that is. Worse than
1: yeah, the, the people died Yeah, that's fair. But right, yeah, the calves, what yeah, the it can, What happened to them? Mm-hmm. What did they deserve so, yeah. And then as we dive into this, I, th- I think it's, it's fair to say, um, and this might be an oversimplification, but a lot of deconstructing the Bible, a lot of uh, questions and frustrations people have with the Bible, uh, the struggle, the wrestling they, they do with the Bible, I think in many ways it really comes down to, to two questions. Uh, and the first question is, is the Bible trustworthy? Um, so on its face, as, as we just kind of all talked about it, whether it's the future or how it treats women or how it treats uh, violence. And, and it can seem very pro-violence, very pro-slavery, anti-science, anti-women. Um, the future can just feel like this mess. Uh, there's stories of incest and murder, right? The, all of those things. Bring us to a place of fact, like, is this book trustworthy? Like, right. it, are, are the morals that it presents, are the stories that it presents something that we can trust? Um, I think the second question uh, that people often wrestle with is is the Bible true? Because if we're honest with ourselves, there are stories in the Bible that are weird. Um, and I don't know if you guys have any examples of some of those moments when you've been reading scripture and be like why in the world is this in there what is going on yeah. uh, one for me is the, is balaam's donkey he just <laughs> starts talking and donkey and and prophesying yeah. over kings I mean, and did
0: you know that story is repeated five times yes yeah they like, come back to it it's story. not just
1: like a weird <laughs> side piece that like makes no sense but yeah it's like yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Mine's always been the Aquabus in Jonah. Aquabus. Know, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. ever called that. That's I mean, amazing. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that was the Old Testament. Um, yeah. What's it called? Lyft or... Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, Uber. Lyft or Uber. Uber. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, Lyft Uber. Hebrew <laughs> yeah. Uber. Yeah. Yeah. How does someone survive in the belly of a fish? Yeah. For, yeah. When months.
0: I was in college, I did a research paper on it. Um, I did discover there were sharks in the Mediterranean that they had actual stories of human Human beings being swallowed by sharks oh, and living for
1: interesting. A time, so, oh, yeah. fascinating. But that kind of defeats. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's, That's what defeats a bean right? special, right? Right. right? Anything for you, Alyssa, that feels <laughs> weird or like, is this really true?
2: Right. I mean, I think the unicorns, That the, yeah. the King James Version references <laughs> unicorns yeah. several times, you know, and you're like, how do I. I learned that unicorns weren't real Um, at a, on a very traumatic day when I was 10. <laughs> oh, you know, no. so I was like, they're yeah. <laughs>
1: not real. Right. Of my daughter calls them. Um, horsey which yeah, is so best. cute yeah but yeah there's all these references the leviathan or all these mm-hmm. weird creatures that it feels like a, a very removed um, there's talk of dragons fantastic beasts and then, let's be honest there, there's some more central beliefs around christianity of, of virgin birth or dead people coming back to life at easter and jesus and and i think a lot of people come to those stories and and think is this true did this actually happen what can i trust um is true about the bible and I think this is
0: something that really, in a way, I mean, puts us a little bit at odds in within our culture, our very secular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the work of like Richard Dawkins and mm-hmm. Samuel Harris, Daniel yeah. Dennett, some of the uh, great writers who are atheists yeah. in our, our culture, they've had this big idea, and I think it's really taken root in the culture, that the more intelligent, rational, and scientifically mm-hmm. minded you are, the less able you are to believe in God yeah. um, because science has disproved the right. Christian beliefs. And, you know, at, at, on the other side of that, the, the central pieces of the Christian faith sit on miracles. Right. Yeah. The exodus, the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So you cannot really even dip your toe in the water of Christianity and not bump into miracles. Yeah. And so there's there is this tension. Uh, all the time in our culture around it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, you know, we kind of talked about this, but the the whole process of deconstruction is really the exploration of the question, what is true? And is truth even like a viable option? Can we believe anything is true? And so when the Bible makes claims about itself or the world or existence, um, even the, the posture we have in culture, it can feel at odds with definitive truth claims that scripture makes and so right. yeah so it, it, it's really challenging and I, I think one of the spaces we want to be sensitive to is this because of kind of those uh secular worldviews, or even christians who are, are struggling with that uh or atheists who just say like the more rational you are you can't believe yeah. um the church's posture towards those kinds of questions has often been well don't ask questions like don't think through that too hard don't be honest about what you're feeling about the Bible, you just kind of need to swallow. it. And there seems to even be this kind of thought that if you're deconstructing the Bible or asking questions of the Bible, you're deconstructing God. Uh, I don't remember if it was you Larry or someone else who said that that in kind of Baptist tradition, it's the Holy Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And so (laughs) if you start deconstructing the Bible, then you're actually attacking and and working against God. We just want to say that's not our posture, our belief, that we actually think the Bible invites those questions and is open uh, to us wrestling. And in fact, I think in many ways, I've come to believe that the Bible is is kind of a conversation between books and authors across space and time that are Mm -hmm. trying to figure out this whole God experience, just like we are. Um, And and so it's okay to come and see that Scripture maybe has different things to say about their experience of God.
2: I mean, we literally, a huge section of the New Testament is just one-sided letters. So how could we feel like we actually know what's Uh going on when we're seeing... Just one side of the conversation.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that's a really good point, Alyssa. And letters being a relational genre, right? Right. And I would argue that that's the essential purpose of what scripture is. So, Mm -hmm. and I may be jumping ahead and talking here, but it gets to the idea: what is the Bible intended? And it's intended to be a relational Mm -hmm. document, in the sense of not a scientific manual, not a historical. A history book, let's say, mm-hmm. but a relational invitation to reveal who God is and that we can know Him, and I think that speaks to the core of who we are. Where James K. Smith talks about, we're not brains on a stick <laughs> walking <laughs> yeah, around; yeah. we're we're creatures of desire, mm-hmm. and so I think the Bible shoots for there first. Mm. And I think where we sometimes get caught up in some of the deconstruction is we want it to be intellectually like every i dotted and t crossed yeah. intellectually and that's not its intent yeah
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. i think that's a, a great point and, and to that point i've heard a lot of people say and i've maybe even felt this with myself at time if this is the book that is designed to give us information about who god is and this is the the thing that has been crafted so that we can understand the, the true revelation of god um then man why is it so confusing? <laughs> That's, That's what right. a lot of people say, right? right. And so they come That's to, yeah, and they come to these places of like, well, why does the Bible contradict knowledge? If, if God has known all along that there is no such thing as a flat earth, why did he not inform the people to not write about a flat earth or, or you know, that the earth being the center of the, the universe? And um, and so people can come with that. I, I think there's, if you kind of broke it down, there's maybe three ways people kind of struggle with this idea of, of the Bible being God's revelation. One is that the contradiction of knowledge and how, you know, the Bible says clearly that the earth is immovable. Well, we you know, the earth is revolving and, and right. And so there's a lot to, to say about what scripture is actually trying to do there, but but people feel like there's a, a conflict with science or with truth that um, they have struggled with the Bible. The, the other place I think often I hear people struggling with scripture is the contradictions within yeah. themselves in scripture. I don't know if either of you have found any places that you've seen scripture and be like, I thought they said something different back there Did any of those come to mind for you guys
2: well i mean i think a lot of to your point about the violence that in exodus you know there's like eye for an eye two for a tooth all yeah, of these sure. like very, you know stone so and so if they do so and so but then all of a sudden jesus is saying turn the other cheek and yeah. and it does feel like i mean you make this point often paul that you know it's like the new testament is god after he went to therapy right <laughs> yeah. That there's this huge yeah. shift and how can you um kind of piece those two things together yeah. believe the whole thing
1: yeah totally yeah Continue.
0: The one that I bump into a lot just in conversations with, with people is the Gospels and right. some of the discrepancies in the Gospels. Uh, you can have four different renderings of one event and yeah. have different details, and they're hard to line up yeah. sometimes, yeah. Or, or sometimes you read the Gospels. It's like a the closest analogy might be a movie mm. where the plot is unfolding in real time, but then suddenly you're having a flashback mm. to something that happened previously, yeah. and there's spots of that in the Gospels, and yep. sometimes it's really hard to put together yeah, totally, and it, it just raises questions
1: yeah yeah and it's hard to tell like are they referencing the exact same event or did this happen twice or yeah. are there different elements of yeah absolutely yep. yeah and i think some of it for me the, the contradictions is is some of the history and, and this probably builds off that but there are places in the old testament where it says one thing happened and then another book says that something different happened they're trying to maybe communicate different things but if you're looking at it as a historical document it, like so one example is was King Manasseh, who was um, the worst king in Israel, sacrificed his own children. And, and like, he's single-handedly, and I think it's the book of Kings, he's he's referenced as the reason for the exile, because he was so evil, so terrible. And then in Chronicles, he is actually said to have repented um, and changed and um yeah, so it seems like there's very conflicting stories going on there uh, at times. I, I think the third place that often people struggle with Scripture, so the first is kind of the contradictions with what we know to be true, and the second is just contradictions within Scripture itself. There seems to be some conflicting moral values for, like, what most people would say is is moral and good and true. So we would say Genocide is wrong. Yeah. And then there are places in Scripture where it looks like people commit genocide yeah. um, uh, at the behest of God. And so sometimes that can feel very, um, you know, uh, even the Scripture's treatment of slavery at times can feel uh, very contradictory with what we know to be true. And it, it doesn't seem to prohibit it or, or say that it's a, a, an evil Most people today would would make that claim, and so we can sometimes come to Scripture and think that there's a conflict between what we think is is moral and true and good and right and just, Um, and so that can leave people kind of at at odds with Scripture. so as we kind of think through those different ways people are in conflict with Scripture, I think an important place to, to before we kind of wrap up some resolution to, to maybe some of those thoughts, as much yeah. as we can. Because we've we raised before, a lot of questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah. Because <laughs> um, we do think that the Bible is is useful in, in the story of God's redemptive love in, in creation. But um, I think it's fair to talk about some of the ways we've seen Scripture misused or mistreated. Because in a lot of the examples that we... Could have named so far that a lot of the questions we've had. Ultimately, I think most of us would argue it's a it's a particular interpretation um, that that maybe has been problematic. And when those interpretations are treated as inerrant, not scripture itself as inerrant. That's where um, we can really see some damage done. And so have there been places where you guys that kind of come to mind where you've seen scripture manipulated or misused or any examples you have of some of those things?
0: I mean, I think we've named probably the two most egregious ones would be the the way women, yeah. uh, the, the role of women, uh, and slavery, yeah. I think, are others, and the way that people have used scriptures even to support those specific things. I think uh, one that comes to my mind is often scripture is used to really divide uh, the body of Christ into smaller and smaller and smaller mm. segments. So this hmm. idea of legalism, yeah. like... Um, uh, again, some of it's reflecting the culture I grew up in. The religious culture was was much about how you dressed, mm. um, your haircut, yeah. uh, you, the things you don't do. Yeah. It's the Bible uh, as a rule book. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. Bible as a rule book. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of the culture. But but I think the saddest result of that is not just you know the personal toil that it takes on you individually, but to see then the church just fractured yeah. and broken. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I've told this story I think, but you know I was a youth pastor in syracuse new york in a very small fundamentalist church and um one time i wanted to take the youth group to see a concert at the syracuse university Uh-oh. by michael card if you've ever heard of mike i have not. i know i'm, I'm speaking you. to the older folk out there right now
1: was You're, he like uh, michael w. Smith he, before that yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. yeah he was time. just
0: after uh, john wesley i think but like very james taylorish all yeah, this so yeah. he was michael card performing at syracuse university to promote a billy graham crusade oh wow that was coming to syracuse university so i put all these posters up came in the next day they were all on my desk with a little sticky oh, note from oh, the senior pastor wow. come see me he said you're not taking the kids to see michael card and i said why he said well michael card is too contemporary <laughs> but second oh. billy graham is a liberal
1: Wow. So it's this,
0: you know, the greatest evangelist of the 20th century Uh is too... But the grievous part of that is just... These kids didn't get to go hear Michael yeah. cardin and get the, hear the I, gospel. Just, yeah. yeah, so well, it's it's great diminishment.
1: Yeah, what it reminds me of that when you use the the Bible as a rule book, it inherently the function of it then is to determine who's in and who's yeah. out, mm-hmm. and to divide and say we've got it right. We're the ones who have it all correct. We've we get it. Yeah. Everyone else doesn't, and so we're going to create that wall yeah. to to keep people out um, and make sure that they're don't contaminate us or make us less faithful. And um, yeah, scripture seems to be very different than that.
2: Um, I would say that the Bible is also not a weapon. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we see this uh, really strongly with Westboro Baptist Church, right? That they, I mean, are picketing funerals and with with verses, right? That it's like, you're going to die and God hates so-and-so. And And, um, I think we all know the character of God and that He would not be with those people, yeah. right? But they're using it as something sharp to, yeah. to cut other people you know and I think even we do that on kind of like a micro level um I, I would say it's similar to using it as a rule book but I remember in high school you know like liking boys or you know kind of like oh should we date and youth group leaders like don't awaken love until it's ready yeah. you know and I'm yeah. like I just think this boy in my science class is cute like what you know but you're using Song yeah. of Solomon against me right um <laughs> which feels kind of messed up <laughs> right,
1: totally yeah it always makes me think of there's this very like obscure independent film from back when I I was like, I think college, maybe high school, but it's called Saved with oh, Mandy yeah. Moore. Oh. Um, and in this movie, she, Mandy Moore is kind of the, the typical high school Christian. That's very She has like the prayer gatherings at school and, and is, is trying to, to save everyone at her school and, and mad at certain people for how they live. Uh, but at one point, she's so mad at this girl that she hops out of a, a van, chucks a Bible at her in the back and says something like, this is the word of God. And,
2: I am and, filled with Christ's I'm love. I'm filled
1: with Christ's love. That's it. Yeah. He chucks a Bible, and that's kind of the. I think the spirit of the Bible as weapon is always those people who say like. Yeah, we have to speak truth in love, but we have to speak the truth. And speaking the truth inherently is loving. And so no matter how we say the truth, that's the loving. That's kind of a, a harsh posture where yeah. we're weaponizing Scripture to, in ways that, that actually, I think, are, are fairly fairly harmful uh, to people.
0: And I think, sadly, often the goal in those situations becomes not really love or, yeah. or winsomeness, but it becomes winning. Yeah, uh, totally. And, yeah, uh, we, we never win if, if that's— Absolutely. We might win— the battle, but what's the, lose the war. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I think one of the the things, and this might sound initially like a, uh, a controversial statement, but hopefully you guys can help flesh it out so people don't label <laughs> me a heretic. heretic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think we have to be careful when we come to Scripture, and we expect it to be what it's not. And so sometimes people come to Scripture, and and they expect it to be a book of science or a book of history. Um, and the Bible is actually not uh, strictly speaking a book of science for sure, but even a book of history, it's a very different type of history than what we're used to and what we believe. Um, So when I was going to high school and we would read, you know, U.S. history, world history, it's very um, important that they're getting dates right, that they're getting names right, that they're just trying to share exactly what happened uh, as it happened to the best of their ability. Scripture has a little bit of a different goal than that. It still has dates. It has people. It has history. It has historical events. I'm not saying that it's ahistorical, but its purpose is to try to show what God was doing in that space, which is a very different endeavor than just recalling and recording Actual moments that, that took place And so um, that's one place that I think The Bible can often be misused um, And especially To try to answer some of those those Contradictions rather than allowing scripture to be What it is we try to make it something It's not
2: One I think it's important to know that even our history books Have a, a bias oh. right That I mean I didn't mm-hmm. learn until college That maybe Columbus like wasn't the best guy Right because like, <laughs> yeah, that's just yeah, not yeah. what we're talking about yeah. You know and so I think it's important to even know that are facts and Yeah, that's probably the year that it happened, but it's always from a perspective. Right. And the Bible is a theological history from Israel's
1: perspective. Yeah. Anything you'd add to that, Larry, well, to kind of bring some clarity? Yeah, yeah, and again, at the risk of even
0: jumping ahead in some places no, I know, know you yeah. might want to land. I think that's so important. So if you take, for instance, your illustration of Manasseh in the Old Testament, like the worst king ever yeah. in Israel, what's interesting is that you compare his reputation in first and second second samuel and in second kings which are more the in the moment here's what happened Mm -hmm. actual history and then chronicles which was written at least um three to four hundred years i mean it was written after the exile so if the events of manasseh were around i don't know 800 bc Chronicles probably around 500, so let's say 300 years. So what you're seeing in Chronicles is the writer kind of looking at the actual e- events of Manasseh, but saying, but this is what really was going on. Right. This is what God's view of that. So yeah, here's, a, here's a parallel, and I don't want to take too much time that on this, great. but... Uh, It's April 20th, 1999. We're coming up on the Mm -hmm. 23rd anniversary of Columbine. Mm. So any of us who lived here during that time, many of the listeners, I'm sure, we know the history. Mm -hmm. We know what happened. We know some things about families and all that happened. But now what you begin to see 23 years later is a certain theological history Mm -hmm. that's beginning to be revealed about Columbine. So for instance, the year before Columbine happened, a group of pastors that were were led out of Southern Gables and um, myself number of us were part of this and around this area we've always tried to get pastors praying mm-hmm. but you never get more than three or four let, honestly yeah. <laughs> pastors don't like to pray together i don't know what that is about yeah um but the year leading into columbine there was a group meeting at southern gables of 50 pastors Wow. and it was some of the most intense praying i've ever experienced i mean it was people men and women yearning for God to show up in this mm-hmm. community. It was powerful prayer. Mm-hmm. Columbine happened. This group of networked pastors mm-hmm. were the ones who put together, as, again, if you were here, you remember the service that happened yeah. in the movie theater parking lot mm-hmm. on Bowls. Mm-hmm. They had Franklin Graham come in, Amy Grant and Michael W. It was, at yeah. the time, the most watched show ever in CNN mm-hmm. history. I, I talked with a pastor yesterday who was a part of that group, and he chose to stay in his church uh, to, to help people uh, with Columbine. We At the 20th anniversary, which we had here at um, Waterstone, one of the survivors has now become a full-time evangelist, mm-hmm. and she uh-huh. gave the gospel at that 20. Right, yeah. the, the impact of Columbine has now affected millions of people related to the gospel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's now the theological history of Columbine. That's right. been, And I know that's the theology of that is still hard. You know, how how could God allow something like this to happen? I'm not sure I'll ever understand that. Yeah. But to see God begin to turn it around and redeem it and have it reach millions of people, mm-hmm. there's a theological history. Yeah, absolutely. Be, I know.
1: Yeah. yeah no I think that's perfect because I, I think when you do when you look at let's say the Old Testament and the stories of exile what, what you're really looking at in many ways is the most uh, traumatic event in the the nation's history yeah. and so in the moment um, people are trying to say what is God doing where has he gone why has he abandoned us and then years after the fact they're trying to write a very different um, expression of where God was at in the midst of yeah. those things and and so it can feel like two very conflicting accounts but but some Sometimes history gives perspective and, and time gives perspective. And yeah. so uh, that's where you, you just have to be honest about what uh, Scripture is trying to do and not yeah. make it something that it's yeah. not. And and oftentimes when people have tried to, to say that, that the Bible is uh, history the way that we would understand it today, they're actually kind of discrediting the work of God in some ways and, yeah. and what the uh, inspired word yeah. of God is trying and, to do.
0: And back to Chronicles for just a moment. So you, w- when you read Chronicles, it's interesting. It, it tells the story of David, like 2 Samuel, like 2 Kings, but it includes no Bathsheba, yeah, no, no, no murder. No, no, no. <laughs> nothing bad about David. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, even Manasseh, it says, well, he might have had one good day. <laughs> yeah, <right>? yeah. <laughs> he might yeah. have had one good day where he walked across the plaza and held up a Bible or something <laughs> yep. like that, uh-huh. you know. Um and what you begin to figure out is what the, the writer of Chronicles is doing is falling in line with Isaiah and Jeremiah who, who are saying, wait, there's going to be another David that comes, mm-hmm. and he's going to be the beautiful king yeah. and the powerful king. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I would argue that what the writer in Chronicles is doing is pointing to their prophetic Jesus yeah. mm-hmm. and saying, there's going to be an amazing king yeah. that's coming. Here's here's kind of what he looks like. Yeah. so.
1: Yeah. Which I, I think that leads us into, so if, if those are some of the things the Bible is not, you know, it's, it's not a rule book, um, yeah. it's not intended to be a weapon that we can use to throw at people, and it's not even necessarily a history book as we understand sure. it, yeah. then what is Scripture? And maybe, Larry, I'll let you take yep. first pass so at there. that, and yeah. Sure. <laughs> Give Alyssa script- listen I the answers. Yeah. <laughs> Always. <laughs> um,
0: script, I, I think it, you have to start with God and that God is a relational God who wants to be known. Mm -hmm. So I think he's doing that every day, every second, every moment of whatever this time existence is, God is saying, I'm here. There's some sort of somebody bigger and stronger than you that's mm-hmm. here, and the sun rises. Mm-hmm. And we have this, what the scripture calls this, uh, or theologians call general revelation, mm-hmm. where all the time God's revealing how strong he is and how big he is. But that in and of itself is not enough for us to truly know the heart of God. And so that's what we call this idea, the theologians call special revelation. Mm-hmm. Special revelation is this action of God to reveal himself. Mm-hmm who he is and what he's done. And Christianity rests on this idea of revelation. Nobody would know anything about God uh, or the truth about God in a way that they could relate to him if God had not decided to make himself known. Mm-hmm. And the main deposit of that knowledge comes through what we call the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible is. It's this product of special revelation. J.I. Uh, Packer says it's the faithful testimony of the faithful mm-hmm. uh, as to who God is. And that's why in scripture, and we, we say this a lot even around Waterstone, we call it God's word. Right. And then that's where it gets even more interesting, because you have to ask the question: Well, how did the Bible come to be? If God wanted to be known, He gives us this revelation of who He is, but it's in this book written across like fifteen hundred years of history. Yeah, I don't know how many forty different authors. Yeah. Uh, so how did all this happen? Well, the Bible makes these claims about how this happened and how is that? It says, for instance, and I, I think it's Second Peter one twenty one that holy women and men of God. Spoke as God carried them. Mm. And that that word is a very picturesque word of like a, when we were kids putting a little stick in the water. Jan and the boys used to call it poo sticks. <laughs> poo. I guess that's <laughs> the, of the is That, kind
2: that of was going a different yeah. way. Yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you stood on one side of the bridge, you threw a stick in, and then you ran to the other side of the bridge. Yeah. And, so that's how the Bible was written, that it was actually women and men writing Their personalities come through. I don't know whether they had a sense Mm. of something divine happening in that moment. They're just writing. They're writing the letters, whatever. But what God's doing is carrying them like he does a stick in the Mm. water and saying this. So the result of that is this is exactly what I want to be said uh, and how I want to be known. It's in these books. So that's a very high... Uh, uh estimation of what this book is yeah yeah,
1: yeah. And i think there's a lot of conversation to be had around like like we would say that the bible is the inspired word of god and and he was um partnering with people and working with people and that's where then a lot of conversation can come in about what did that process actually look like how yeah. where were they and right. and some of those things are are spaces that i think waterstone is very open to to conversation about and yet none of them necessarily affect the um the authority of scripture in our that's lives right. so like i i love way, the way herman bavinck he he talks about how um it, it, if you think about inspiration if you've ever been an artist or, or had some sort of like just flash of inspiration where something all of a sudden clicked and you had to to, to express that whether that was in poetry or in some other art form uh, like a painting it that could be part of what's going on in scriptures that that they have this flash of inspiration um that's spirit led spirit given but but the same way most of us would come up with some sort of art form or there's uh, other people who may argue that it was more of a puppetry where people were just kind of like god was had his hand on top of their <laughs> hand on the pin, right and and so there's there's a lot of conversation about uh, what that means but i think scripture's claim for itself where, where we would say you, you've got to hold to um tightly is that that god was involved in the process
0: yeah yeah i, I totally agree paul so it's a the, the product is, the result is divine. I've heard it compared to the incarnation, where there's this human element, but there's the divine element. That, that's what the Bible is. It's it's human and divine yeah. together. And in the original manuscripts, they yeah. always that's always right. underlined. Right. We don't have the original manuscripts. Have you ever wondered why we don't have the original manuscripts? Mm. Uh, I mean, that would eliminate a lot of questions, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Here's my theory. You want to hear my theory? Please. I mean christians we like we always want certainty and we always want like idols and things to hold on to so we have actually built a. am mu- probably gonna offend some people on this but <laughs> 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 we we have built a museum on an ark about an ark that we ha- we never have no one knows can you imagine if we had the original autographs of the oh, bible yeah. we would build a temple yeah and we would ha- have the father the
1: son and the holy book yeah and uh, um, it,
0: uh, that's my theory yeah, no, we would worship them <laughs> yeah
1: yeah you treat them as these like holy relics yeah instead of scripture yeah i, I think that's a great point because sometimes people can get very superstitious about the bible yeah. and they're like treated as this good luck charm so i, I like i've known people who have like carried the Bible in their pocket to just make sure that they're always like protected by that. And that's not the, the Bible in its physical form is not what we are saying is holy. It's the word of God that's contained within it. And so that's where we've got to be careful with some of the weird superstition stuff that can kind of come, come about when we say the Bible is the the word of God.
2: Mm -hmm. One, I think it feels very clear from our conversation that it is the Bible is an invitation for conversation, that it's not about certainty. Um, So, Larry, maybe, again, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Can you talk a little bit about what are things that you would hope someone reading the Bible could feel certain about versus what um, maybe would be more of that gray as opposed to the black and white?
0: It always starts with God wanting to be known and that he, in this process of giving human authors, he, ins- he inspired what they wrote. And so we have this sense that this, this Bible is God talking. In fact, that interesting verse in Second Timothy 3, 16 is actually like a metaphor for someone talking. When you put your hand in front of their mouth, the breath comes out. Mm. It's, t- it's God's breath talking. So I think we can, with confidence, really believe that the Bible is like no other book. So it's not only what the process God did in giving us the book, but I think on the other end, there's, this is really interesting, Alyssa, there's verses in scripture that talk about when a person comes to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to live in them and you get like my favorite stories about a guy who got saved and he he didn't know what to call the Holy Spirit, but he said, the spook is really teaching me this (laughs) and teaching me that. You you, you kind of have this new reality in your life and you start thinking different ways and different questions. But what the things the spook does, it says in like John 20, is he gives an anointing to the believer that they can know truth So one of the gifts of the Spirit is you have this sense that you know when God's talking, Mm -hmm. and especially with the Scripture. So if you think of God as like a painting, and how are we ever going to see God? Let's say that it's a painting that's about to be unveiled, so there's this veil over it. So what God does in giving a Scripture is he, He kind of takes you to the museum where the painting is, but then the Holy Spirit. Takes the veil off, so you can actually mm. actually understand what's being written and said about God. So it's this beauty of the Holy Spirit helping us, yeah. illumination.
1: Yeah, that's called. I love that because it, it gets to kind of both sides. The, the before the writing, there's this inspiration, and then after the writing, the, the stories and, and teachings that we have um, collected then there's this illumination that takes place for us right. afterwards that can help provide um, some clarity for us. I, and I think too, uh, that's why Scripture's so messy in yeah. people's treatment, right? So everybody comes to it in their discussing, they're questioning, they're wrestling, uh, trying to figure out what the Bible is is attempting to say. Um, and we really want certainty. We really want black we, and white we answers. Do. We want no like sort of confusion. Um, but the Bible actually says that in the conversation, um, in the confusion and in the discussion is where you actually um, begin to, to flesh things out and have a, a better understanding of who God is. And I always think it's fascinating. We, we always have this tendency to want to get it right. And make sure we like know everything right. And I uh, I heard this story of a professor in college who was a Bible scholar, world renowned, and he said at least eighty percent of my theology is bunk. <laughs> and his his humility in that moment is to say that none, to your point earlier, none of us can understand God fully, and so we have to have this humility that a lot of things we think about God, a lot of things that we think about Bible the Bible are are probably wrong. And I, I think it, it's funny that even in the New Testament, uh, the first people who know who Jesus is, the first people that have an understanding of who Jesus is, are not his disciples. They're not the priests. They're the demons. Yeah. And, and the demons have this very clear understanding. They get it right. They know who Jesus is, but they don't have faith and believe and and trust in Jesus. Um, and I think sometimes we can, oh man, I think we can have a demonic posture towards scripture when we think the whole purpose is to get it right, to hold what's right against people um, instead of entering into the conversation and exploring and trying to to understand more fully who God is with a humility that that we don't always understand.
0: In other words, Paul, read the Sermon on the Mount.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what Jesus is Uh doing. You
0: have heard that it said this, but I tell you, yeah Yeah. he's deconstructing deconstructing (laughs) his pastors (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. yep absolutely yeah so and Alyssa, back to your earlier question so you know what i guess what are the the things that we stand on that we're anchored on here uh i that the bible is inspired that it's a divine human product and that means it does have foundational authority so we like to say here at waterstone that we believe jesus rules the church through his word Mm -hmm. so we go to scripture when we want to know you know god's intentions for the world when we want to know what our mission is when we want to know how to handle situations our instinct is scripture because it does have that foundational authority because it's from god um we believe god cannot lie and so i think you know Often you hear uh, theologians use the word inerrancy. In fact, I checked this. We have that in our doctrinal statement oh. here at Waterstone <laughs> that the Scriptures inerrant. But I think you have to define what inerrancy means. And, it, and even when you define it with the realization that we don't have the original autographs. So mm-hmm. we technically don't have the inerrant manu-
2: yeah. manuscripts.
0: That said, I think it refers to this idea that the Bible is is true and trustworthy, and that we can trust it as the voice of God. I think though, as Paul, I think you've been pushing hard on this, and I agree with you totally, whatever statements there are in the scriptures, they have to be understood in their context, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not our context, not our modern preoccupation with precision and detail, their context and their genre. Um, All that God is saying in those things and in those places and times is true. Yeah. We can trust them.
1: And I think that's such an important point yeah. because one of my uh, favorite theologians, he uh, says about Scripture that, that if you look at a story in Scripture, and let's say that, that it didn't actually literally happen historically like it's documented, but it it is a theological history and and the author is infusing theological meaning into some of the things. Just because it didn't happen exactly like it said does not mean it's not true. And I think that's so important in that the the meaning, the intent can still be true, even if uh, the historical event that happened, you know, to your point earlier, 300 years before they recorded it, It doesn't mean that, you know, if if Manasseh didn't literally actually repent, there could be intent of the author to say he very well could have. It could also be intent of the author to say, hey, this is actually what he didn't do, but we should do. And and so there's always this conversation in Scripture about um, the historicity not actually making the teachings uh, untrue. And I think that actually leads into to kind of the final point we would want to make about the Bible is that it's a book of wisdom. And I know, mm-hmm. Alyssa, you um, ha- have thought a lot about this and, and wrestled with this. So I'd love for you to, to maybe take a stab at it first of, of when we come to these stories, where we're actually applying wisdom to it, not just trying to tell it, have it tell us all the answers.
2: Absolutely. Um, and then, Larry, you can clean up whatever mess <laughs> I made if I missed something. Um, but, yeah, I think that there's something to be said for that. God has given us minds and thoughts and um, logic, and then I think that so often there's this perception of Christians that we lo- we lose that. And but yeah. I but I think people purposely choose to leave their logic at the door. Yeah. Um, and I will remember uh, on um, Love Is Blind season two, <laughs> your your favorite show, I'm sure, what, Larry. What is love? What is <laughs> um, it's a dating reality show on Netflix. Oh. Um, yeah, you've you heard of those. it. I've yeah, of it. Um, but I will always remember that in the, the pods, which is essentially where these two people are talking, but they can't oh, see each other because they're, they're supposed this. to supposed to fall in love without seeing each other that um they're arguing about one of the guys saying well i believe in science so i don't know if we can be together and she's like well i believe in the bible and that that is the basis of their argument and that's all they say there's not wrestling there's great not great
1: minds of the modern century wrestling <laughs> <Exactly>. it out
2: <laughs> and i just like i just remember looking at my husband and i was like this is so I think embarrassing for both sides, but it's just like, man, that that is where you're just going to let that live. That it's, you're not dealing with the miracles. You're not dealing with, you know, all these other pieces, the things that you felt that you're just going to be like, well, I guess we disagree because we're going to leave our logic at the door. So I think the big point is that we are given wisdom. And so we should, the Bible is our gift of wisdom, not only that we have our minds, but we also have this book that I think we all know that, for example, we all know that slavery is wrong, but somehow we see in the Bible that it in a way supports slavery. And so I really don't think that we should let go of this thought of like, wait a minute, maybe like using people as property is wrong. Um, That we should use that logic to then think about, you know, the, the culture of the day, right? That if all of a sudden Paul went up and said, guys, slavery needs to be gone, that Christianity wouldn't go anywhere because that was the backbone of the economy at that time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Right? Is so you have to use what we know that's, you know, kind of that general revelation mm-hmm. to your point, Larry, to mm-hmm. also interpret the special revelation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think even within Scripture itself, there's this lens that it gives us. And a lot in Proverbs and um, even in the New Testament, Jesus is always, uh, not always, but uh, there's quite a few places where he's equated with wisdom. Um, And then in the Proverbs, it talks about applying wisdom to scripture and how and it it kind of forces you to even do that in some places like there are places where at one point in proverbs it says don't um, entertain the fool and have a conversation with him because it's it's pointless and the very next verse says have a conversation with the fool and point out his error Mm -hmm. and so if you put those right next to each other it's like well what are you supposed to do use wisdom to know yeah. Yeah. there are some moments that you have to have the conversation and there are other moments you're fighting with the fool and there's no yeah. point.
0: And, yeah. I, and both of you, I think, raise an important issue in that, in that it always has to do with interpretation yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So part of that is understanding the type of literature the Proverbs oh, yeah. is, which is yep. always about uh, contrast yep. and co- and parallelism and opposites. Yep. Um, yeah. and that's part of wisdom is knowing the extremes. Yep. Um, and then, uh, as you said... Alyssa, I think understanding, like if you take slavery, for instance, when, the goal of interpretation is always to understand what the original author was trying to say to the original audience. Yes. So when you take slavery, for instance, slavery in the Roman Empire was very different than slavery in the 1800s, mm-hmm. chattel slavery. Two-thirds of all the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Mm-hmm. Most Well, half of that two-thirds, I'm totally lost in the mathematics now. (laughs) One-third. I can do that part. (laughs) They were women. They were women who were essentially viewed as property. Mm -hmm. It wasn't based on race, and it it was more based on the socioeconomic ladder. Um, And so, you know, Paul gets taken to task a lot for why didn't you say anything about slavery? Well, frankly, most of those two-thirds they understood that they'd be in this scenario their whole lives and it it wasn't misery Mm -hmm. and so i think there's this sense of understanding you can't judge paul by 1800 standards of slavery Mm -hmm. and say paul you should have done this you should have done that so there's that piece the other piece is i would argue that paul writing to the original audience in philemon he makes a massive shift mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. slavery when he says to Onesimus, a slave owner, "Was it Onesimus?" I get to yeah, me- Onesimus. You know. uh, preached on this, Paul. You're that. the expert. Yeah, huh?
1: he was writing to Philemon about the slave Onesimus. Yeah.
0: When he says to Philemon, Onesimus should not be your slave. He should be your brother. Yeah. In my mind, lightning bolt. Yeah. I mean that when he wrote that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's why Wilberforce, and. Um, yeah. You know the abolitionist. I mean, right there was the crack in the wall of slavery. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's it's really about still knowing right. what Paul's doing in the book of. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Just,
1: no, exactly. And then even in other places where it comes to like uh, him saying there's neither free nor slave nor Greek nor he's not eliminating those categories and he's not saying right. they don't matter that there's no such thing as men or women, but he's trying to make the larger point that under Christ all have equal. Um, rights and responsibilities and dominion, yeah. and and so he's kind of leveling the playing field in a context. And so, I, I think you're totally yeah. right, Ellis, yeah. that yeah. when you don't apply wisdom to those things and just expect it to tell you what it says, then it can be very confusing. You can justify all sorts of horrendous things.
2: Well, I think. If you view it as a book of wisdom, that means that you have to know the whole thing. Yeah, that you can't just true. take this little section, your you know, birth look nurse. in your verse. Yeah, take, exactly, right? And I'm like, guys, I'm not supposed to build a temple on up top. Yeah. I can't tell you. Um, you know, that you can't just look in your appendix and say, Well, I'm struggling with this and find this one verse in Proverbs yeah. and choose to, that's how you're gonna live your life. That yeah. we are called to know the full thing because it's it's not easy to understand, it's very complicated. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that is the way that it was intended to be so that you could get the as much of the breadth and depth of who right. God is so that you can really understand yeah. his character because you need to see it in so many different scenarios and situations yeah. to really understand how to apply it to your life.
1: Yeah, that's great. Because it's it's understanding the, the breadth of the conversation, really, of all of these yeah. different people across centuries um, of stories and events trying to understand who God is. Um, it makes me think, and this kind of leads into to maybe a, a place that we can, can wrap is that... Um, one of the temptations I think a lot of people feel when they're deconstructing is to uh, kind of do the the Jeffersonian Bible. Thomas Jefferson, yeah. if you're familiar with that, is he there's literally a Bible you can go see. I, I believe it's in the Smithsonian, but you can see where he cut out um, with scissors the different places in scripture that he didn't like and pasted them together and, and just removed any, for him it was supernatural. He didn't want any kind of supernatural in his Bible and so uh, it was just a book of wisdom and teaching and, and removed any element of, of spiritual or supernatural. I think so many of us uh, love to do that with scripture and, and we may not go so far as to actually cut um, with physical scissors and paste and, and recraft a Bible but we try to pretend there are certain parts that aren't there. Or that certain parts we don't have to deal with. Um, and the travesty of that, and I think hopefully throughout this conversation we've tried to, is when we remove parts that don't fit with our narratives or our beliefs or our cultural values, we actually end up um, robbing scripture of the power it has to, to correct those things. And so for for example, uh, you could look at the slave Bible. They, they were another group, slave owners were another group of people who cut, chopped, pasted, they cut the entire book of Exodus out of, the bible because they wanted slaves to have bibles because it talked about working hard and so it was used to to oppress but they had to remove whole chunks of scripture to try to say uh, that that would speak back or push back so so books like exodus and god freeing the slaves or philemon where paul writes this this um mandate to to kind of free a slave they removed all of that to try to eliminate but when you look at Um, slaves and the hymns that they sung and the things that they wrote. So much of their theology of their experience, so much of their hope uh, was rooted and grounded in the story of scripture. It's clear that they got their hands on Bibles that slave owners didn't try to oppress them with. And it was actually their hope. And and the Bible was used um, by slaves and those who fought for the abolitionist movement to counteract the way that the bible had been mistreated and abused and if you just throw the bible out wholesale then you actually lose the power and authority to fight back against the abuse of interpretations and the manipulation that can happen with scripture and so It's really important to recognize that the Bible actually in many ways solves many of the problems it presents if you apply that wisdom, if you look for for the story of what God is doing. Back to
0: Alyssa's point, which I think is is an awesome point, is that it, it is wisdom and it's work. Yeah, it I takes know. work. So, Paul, you know, um, just to toot your horn a little bit here. I, you know, one of you preached Genesis thirty-eight last week, and if, if you haven't heard that message yet, it's. I told Paul it's one of the ten best messages I've ever heard in in my sixty years. Wow! And I grew up in <laughs> church. <laughs> so
1: I'm just it, not gonna say anything. <laughs> <yeah>.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it was an incredible message, mm-hmm. and it was on one of those chapters in the Bible that people read, and they're like, "If this is what it's about, I'm out." But I think once you get into it and you do the work and you understand, you know, the context and what's going on and what the author's doing, it's a beautiful passage that actually elevates the role of women yeah. in a time and place and culture that had women under their thumb. Yeah. I mean, and to see what how it, it previews even the work that God was going to do through the coming Jesus, yeah. uh, through Tamar being in the line of Christ. Yeah. It's—I was— I had chills. And it's uh, this idea, I think, if you're willing to dig in and do the work, I personally have experienced and believe that many of those problem passages can at least be explained. Now, are we going to agree? Here's the other thing I think, I know we're getting close to wrapping up, but I think sometimes we want the Bible to be like perfectly understandable and tame. Yeah. I think we want a Stepford wife Mm. for Scripture. Mm. How about that for a cultural reference? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with that movie? (laughs) Yes, yes. Where the women had like computer chips in them or something, and so they always said yes. Yeah. The answer is always yes. Mm. I think we want God sometimes to be our Stepford wife. Mm. And as long as he agrees with me, we're we're good. And I think if you're reading the Bible, uh, you want a God who doesn't agree with you. Yeah. (laughs) And you want a Bible that's maybe not always saying and clearing things up the way you should because then you might be on to a god who's infinite
1: yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, and it it was fascinating as i dove into that story on tamar and judah because i had always heard it as as tamar was the heartlet she was the seductress she was the vixen who and what had happened is i had only heard that story through a lens of of purity culture and through a modern interpretation um that had actually been used to uphold a narrative of oppressing women Um, but actually when you see what the author is doing and In scripture, it's it's reversing that narrative. It's saying women, the woman is the heroine, and she's the the salvation of this entire uh, promised family of Abraham. Um, And so, again, if if you cut those stories out because it looks like they're mistreating women, you actually lose the power to push against the narratives that we would all say um, the Bible has been used to manipulate and uh, abuse people uh, rather than actually what it's intended to do, which is free and, and liberate.
2: Well, I think that too, that speaks to actually viewing the Bible as a whole, because yeah, right. you probably wouldn't get have gotten to this interpretation yeah. if you didn't see that her name was used so often totally. in a place of honor, right? And yeah. so all of a sudden you're like, wait... The people of this time, speaking to your point, Larry, of mm-hmm. it being to that time and to the context, it's like, well, they clearly didn't have this interpretation of her. Mm-hmm. So what have we missed and what, how should we actually view that that story?
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I, I think maybe the, the kind of summary of this conversation is uh, those questions, is the Bible trustworthy and true? I think all of us would say, yes, yes. it is. Mm-hmm but it is complex, it is complicated, Um, and it's an invitation to a conversation that can be very confusing at times, but can be so rewarding and redemptive when you see it, it kind of play out. Uh, and so I guess for, for some next steps for those who are listening is, um, if you are curious about a lot of the, the studying or the reading that went into this podcast, um, a couple of resources for you. One would be the Bible Project. Uh, they do yeah. phenomenal work on understanding scripture and, and to Alyssa's point of understanding the breadth of scripture and interpreting it through uh, other things that are going on in the passage. Um, Alyssa and I both read a book by Dan Kimball how Not to Read the Bible. Any plug you'd want to give for that book, Lisa? Oh, it was so
2: good. I felt like it did all of what we talked about and more and kind of gave really specific examples that we obviously talked about the whole breadth of it. It went into that's where I learned about like specifically the unicorn reference or specifically <laughs> yeah. like you know, these uh, kind of what seem anti-science anti-women, anti-slavery that he breaks down specific yeah. passages, yeah. Um, which to me was really um, helpful.
1: And it's very comical and fun too. Yeah.
0: Two resources I'd recommend. One is uh, Tim Keller in his book The Reason for God mm. has a great chapter on can we trust yeah. the Bible? Yeah. Um, and I uh, think he has a really two pages in there. It has this very concise. Um, telling of the slavery issue mm. in scripture and help me to understand that. The other th- course I uh, thing I'd recommend is our alpha course that we mm. offer. I think mm. the next one's in the fall. Yeah. That's coming up. But the alpha has two talks in it. One is on who Jesus is um, and then the other is about what the Bible is and it, they're really really good talks about how the Bible came to be and how we should understand what it is. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The alpha course. Yeah, I think those are some some great references. So if you again this podcast is for people who are maybe in the process of deconstructing, working through that. And so it can be a companion alongside of you. It's also for those who maybe know someone who is going through um, the process of deconstruction. Maybe it's a child or a friend, um, family member. So we would uh, love for those resources to be available uh, to you and hope this was a helpful conversation on deconstructing the Bible.
2: Awesome. Thanks for being here, Larry.
0: Great to be here. Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to the Monday Morning For Call podcast. We hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend. You can join us on Instagram at WaterstoneCC and Facebook at Waterstone Church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. This podcast is hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and Alyssa Frisby.
2: Today's show is edited and mixed by Luke McCready, produced by Emily Kloss, and the graphic was designed by Lane Gerkink. We'll be back next Monday with our next episode.